You are listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM. I am here today to represent Cortland Arrington. I am here today to represent Hadia Pendleton. I, I am here today to represent Tiana Thompson, who at just 16 was shot dead in her home here in Washington, D.C. I am here today to acknowledge and represent the African-American girls whose stories don't make the front page of every national newspaper, whose stories don't lead on the evening news. I represent the African-American women who are victims of gun violence, who are simply statistics instead of vibrant, beautiful girls at full of potential. It is my privilege to be here today. I am indeed full of privilege. My voice has been heard. I'm here to acknowledge their stories, to say they matter, to say their names. This is from my girls all around the world. Stand up, hold your head up, don't take nothing from no one. This is from my girls, stand up and be heard. This is my lady, my sister, all over. This is from my You are listening to WERALP 96.7 FM in Arlington. I'm your host, Andrea Cameron, and this is Enlighten Me. Uh, uh, it is a, a rainy Wednesday afternoon here in Arlington. I hope you have your umbrellas out. I totally forgot mine, so uh, I was stuck out in the rain today. But this day kind of perfectly captures uh, my sentiment from this past week. It's dark, dreary, rainy. You know, and it only gets worse before it gets better. I'm not fearful, though, even though the nation's school children apparently are. On the program today, Steve Snyder, the editorial director of The 74, a website dedicated to explaining education policy to the community. I'll talk to him about how schools are handling the 2016 election, especially the rise in bullying, hate crimes and abuse, I guess all in the name of Donald Trump's recent election win. Steve Snyder of the 74 he is the editorial director of the 74 has been compiling a list of what has been going on in and around the country on instances of bullying due to the election of Donald Trump I will talk to him next this is enlighten me on WERA LP 96.7 FM in Arlington I'm your host Andrea Cambrin we'll be right back after this you're listening to WERA LP Arlington 96.7 FM. You are listening to WERALP 96.7 FM in Arlington. This is Enlighten Me. I'm your host, Andrea Cameron. And today we are talking about school bullying as a result of the Trump effect. And I want you to listen to something that um, Harry 
spoke about earlier today when he was talking about um, what is going on in our nation's schools. He was on the Senate floor uh, earlier this week, and he, w- he wanted to uh, relay to the community and, and to the House and Senate floor what is going on as a result of Donald Trump's election. I want you to take a listen to Harry Reid on the Senate floor. One of my staffers has a daughter in middle school. I've known that little girl since she was a little baby. The day after the election, the principal addressed the entire student body on the school's PA system because the two incidents had occurred that he wanted to talk to them about. In one instance, a boy yelled at a Latina student, telling her that he was glad she was going to be deported now that Trump was president. In another instance, a boy was sent home for yelling the most derogatory, hateful term at an African-American student. The boy justified himself by saying he used that language now that Trump was president. In Spokane, Washington, the Martin Luther King Center there was defaced with the same hateful word. Those are only a few examples of what people close to me have related. But these kinds of disturbing accounts have been heard across America. I have here, Mr. President, a compilation of these uh, incidents, hundreds of incidents, in the last few days. And I would ask that be made part of the record. That that was just entered into the record, those references made are awful, they're hateful, they're frightening, they're scary. I invite any of my colleagues to read these horrible acts and invite any senator, Democrat or Republican, to come right down to this floor today and uh, defend any one of them. These examples of hate and prejudice. I don't believe anyone in this chamber wants to defend the hateful acts that are being committed in President-elect Trump's name. They lead to one unavoidable conclusion. Many of our fellow Americans believe that Trump's election validates the kind of bullying, aggressive behavior Trump modeled on a daily basis. How can we teach our children that bragging about sexual assault is abhorrent if we rush into the arms of a man who dismissed his locker room talk? If we fail to hold Trump accountable, we all bear a major responsibility for normalizing his behavior. And that was uh, Senator Harry Reid on the Senate floor. He was talking about what has happened as a result of Donald Trump's election. When we return, we will talk to Steve Snyder. He's the editorial director of The 74, a news website dedicated to uncovering education policy uh, and around the U.S. This is WERALP 96.7 FM. I'm your host, Andrea Cambron, and you're listening to Enlighten Me. You are listening to WERALP 96.7 FM in Arlington. I'm your host, Andrea Cambron, and this is Enlighten Me. 
Steve Snyder. He serves as the editorial director of The 74, a news website dedicated to uncovering education policy. And lately, he's been looking at what's been going on around the nation around the election of Donald Trump. And so I wanted to bring him in today because I wanted him to talk about what this means for our nation. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, and thanks for uh, shining a spotlight on this. So, so you guys have been, I mean, actually it's been you. I mean, you guys have been spotlighting and and compiling a list of what has been going on in schools around the country. Tell us a little bit about what's been happening. Absolutely. Um, it started somewhat unexpectedly, and there and there, there have been a few phases to what we've been seeing and noticing and the reason we started counting these things up. So, you know, you can tell students went back to school on the Wednesday after the election. Yeah. And I think there were, you know, high tempers. And I think there, you know, students tend to voice their opinions and sometimes sure. also don't have the best, um, perhaps, uh, coping mechanisms for how to <laughs> maybe deal with disappointment or mm-hmm. deal with excitement or deal with, you know, it, it was clearly a powder keg uh, that was ready to blow in many schools. Yeah. And we started noticing a spike in social media activity that that Wednesday afternoon, we came in on Thursday and saw just how many incidents had been reported, and not just in terms of videos and photos, but also people, yeah, parents who mm. were talking about what their kids had come home and told them. Yeah. Um, relatives of family members who, you know, clearly got to work on that Thursday and said, oh, my God, I heard what what happened um, yesterday to my to my nephew or to my sister's kid. Um, so we started just gathering up these incidents just to see how many we were talking about. The mm-hmm. very first cut of it uh, was around 40 incidents, you know, not that bad. But sure. since then, it's spiraled to over 370 reports that we've seen. And this is just us combing the top layer of of social media. Yeah. Um, and so we published that initial post. I actually put up an editorial saying, you know, there, there's a big surge here in anti-election anxiety. And you could see also that there were many principals, superintendents, administrators posting things or, or parents posting letters from those officials uh, where it was clear they were messaging to parents, please talk to your kids. This thing happened in school today. We had to have an emergency in service to make it clear that this is not appropriate. Um, uh, and so the more we posted these things, we, we included an email address. We created a, an email address, which for any of your listeners, it's a uh, bullying uh, at the 74million.org, which is our URL. And we were encouraging people, if something happened to you or your family, please let us know. And so since then, we've had, you know, more than 100 people reach out with some pretty disturbing episodes. We've started confirming and verifying some of those episodes and also giving voice to the people involved. Um, And so you can see that at our site. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess I was just surprised sometimes by the intensity of some of these incidents, Mm. the frequency of some of these incidents, and also clearly that school officials, you know, we've talked to some principals who went in on that Wednesday knowing we are going to have an out-of-control situation today, or, yeah. or I better get control of this very quickly, and I and I better message to these kids and give give an example to these kids of how to 
model behavior of high yeah you know, of high tensions how to deal with it better yeah that was going to be my next question how are administrators how are teachers dealing with this because you know you, you you think about the the individual instances and you say okay well that's how that was individually handled but taken in a larger context I mean as an administrator as a teacher you have to be able to respond to this and I don't know if many teachers even have the capabilities to respond to this well, you're, and, and there are moments where you start start walking a fine line. This is a new angle of it that we're reporting on. Okay. A, a fine line of, of First Amendment issues, because mm. when, when when can you talk about politics? And But when does it become intimidation? And right. when, when are you just carrying a sign? But when is carrying a sign in that environment in that way hostile or, right. or, or aggressive? And so you can tell that there was maybe a little bit of an adjustment period for some of these schools. But but I should note that in the last maybe 48 hours, we've seen a lot less. And I think there's a combination of a, a long holiday weekend in many schools of parents getting the heads up from these administrators that it's time to talk about this explicitly around the <laughs> dinner room table. Don't just assume they're going to watch CNN and then go to school or something. Right. Um, or, or to see the protests on TV and then go to school. Um, uh, I, I think they were quick to, to, to ring the alarm bell, to bring the kids together, to message things to parents. And we actually have a sense that it's it's dying down, and many of the conversations on social are shifting from 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 venting anger or or stories of how anger was was vented in school, or maybe there's an altercation, maybe there. There were things being shouted. You know, that's what we were seeing. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of people trying to proactively discuss this or show some sense of maybe political awakening of, like, how can we come together and address some of these issues? Yeah. Or we're, we're seeing more and more student protests across the country. Just yeah. yesterday we had a we had a reporter marching through D.C. with the reporter, with, I, the, with the students who were marching. I was just going to, that was going to be my next uh, follow-up to that. You know, as far as the action that students have taken, like you said, again, uh, you know, D.C. students marched on the White House to yeah. protest Trump's election. People in Silver Spring, Maryland, marched to protest Donald Trump's election. A lot of people say that, uh, you know, the voting trends uh, for y- the younger uh, voters in this election tended to lean Democratic. Um, where do you see this new wave of youth protesting uh, going as far as, especially in regards to education? Well, this is what we're really intrigued by. If we can fast forward into next week or even after the big Thanksgiving lull, you know, sure. are we going to continue seeing these walkouts and these protests during the day? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it does remind me, you know, I heard one commentator say, I think the the you know, uh, the afternoon of, of last Wednesday, you know, they were asking, like, should we be concerned? It might have been Michael Beschloss, the, the historian. Like, is, okay. should this be a cause for concern, these protests on the day after Election Day? And he actually said, I think, um, I'd be a little more concerned if we weren't hearing anything from anyone, if if something was boiling over and yeah. people were, were shutting down. Uh, and that's really resonated with me as I've seen sort of these initial uh, social media posts and comments and stories and anecdotes and emails of shock and outrage translate into concrete action and people seeming to feel empowered that, okay, well, if you want to change, let's work, uh, you know, peaceful demonstration. Let's try to work within our constitution and take these actions. Now, 
clearly some school districts have made it clear these are unexcused absences. Mm-hmm. These, this is not to be tolerated. But I, I see a big difference in um, uh, a complete breakdown of order in a school um, and violent outbursts in a school versus students taking proactive Means. measure to give yeah. voice to their frustration. So I know some parents might disagree. I mean, it's a sort of a parent-by-parent, family-by-family situation. I just know as someone who – I actually wrote an essay um, uh, very quickly last Thursday for our site calling on our elected leaders to make it clear that school needs to be a safe space and, and we cannot have have this. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was a magazine. It was an essay that was picked up pretty wide by by Time Magazine and other outlets. You know, as someone who wrote that essay, I'm very happy to see this being channeled any other way. Yeah. Because what we were seeing was starting to become harmful, un- un- unmanageable. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, we are talking with Steve Snyder. He is the editorial director of the 74, looking at education policy. The election of Donald Trump also means that. Uh, education policy will change. Talk a little bit about what you see as possibly changing in a Trump presidency. Well, you you enter this weird vortex of there are things Trump has said on the campaign trail that then he quickly reversed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, things that he has indicated he would do that maybe legally he can't do. Things we've been covering on the site. Now, he's, he's clearly no fan of the Common Core state standards, although sure. at times we've been a little uncertain if he knows what to, that is, you know, <laughs> what they are. And I'm not trying to be rude. But, no, um, right. Yeah. You know, he's implied that that's the federal government controlling local education when really it's it's just agreeing to standards that every state will agree to and then mm-hmm. implement to their own right. Like Common Core is a state initiative. Um, now, if he was trying to peel that back, um, he would start to probably go after the Every Student Succeeds Act, which is the new federal education law. He does now have a Republican Congress that could try to use some maneuvering in, in Congress to prevent the Obama administration from finalizing the rules and how, and how, and how ESSA is going to be implemented at the state level or yeah. to undo those rules once they are written. So we covered that today. It's called the Congressional Review Act. And if there was a way where you were going to try to strangle implementation of a law, that's that's what you would do. Um, other things he's talked about, he's talked a lot about school choice, about increasing access to public charter schools, increasing access to vouchers, which were a big thing in Indiana, where Mike Pence uh, was a leader. Mm-hmm. And so if you... If you were going to start looking for things at the federal level, I mean, most education stuff is decided in the state houses, uh, but at the federal level, you would start seeing more money funneled into the charter school program, sure. which, which which can be done through the through Congress and the Department of Education, mm-hmm. and you would see you know some way to incentivize vouchers, whether those you know, tax credits, whether it's scholarships. What we're looking at is some some legislation that maybe has been sitting around from for a while from Republican legislators that yeah. maybe would have been non-starters for Obama's desk. But now that they have a Republican president, uh, would he be more open to signing things? And so we're looking at, you know, Marco Rubio had a very big tax credit bill. Um, there's been a lot of focus on the D.C. Opportunity Scholarship, which mm-hmm. was kind of a non-starter for Obama. But when you start looking at an all GOP House Senate, Senate. yeah. And uh, Obama and White House, um, it's a whole different calculus. And and the one really interesting thing 
that might happen is so right now Republican Republican uh, Lamar Alexander, uh, who's kind of the top education person in the Senate, and right now is is kind of going to loggerheads over John King and in in the final rule writing for the new education law ESSA. Uh, you know, right now he's the antagonist of a Democratic White House, but yeah. he could become a re- Republican antagonist of a Republican White House because he's a very big believer in in doing things the right way and following procedure. And if and if what starts to happen in January is they're trying to throw out things and rewrite laws and just chuck it out, like he he will probably oppose that. So there could be really interesting new coalitions forming okay. uh, in 2017. Yeah. Steve Snyder, he is the editorial director of the 74, looking at uh, the nation's education policies. In layman's terms, though, Steve, you know, when someone hears that, you know, money is going to be funneled towards uh, school choice, you know, school choice gets thrown around a lot. When people hear that, they say, oh, school choice, of course. You know, I want to choose what, what school I want to go to. When he, when people hear that, when the, when the, the common person hears that, they don't really understand what that means explain what why that's not the greatest idea and and what that means for for the vast majority of americans who are have their kids go to public schools and don't necessarily know the disconnect between school funneling money towards a voucher program and school choice and funneling money to the public education system Absolutely, and and I should say we're a nonpartisan site, so we just sure. try to cover it from from the details. And and so I'm just trying to think when I, you know, I was not an education wonk or expert, and then we launched the site, and I have become an education <laughs> wonk and expert. So I'm trying to think, you know, think ahead to Thanksgiving when I go home and yeah. explain to my exactly, you know, exactly. my siblings what's going on. So there's probably just uh, when you look at the national landscape, there are probably just three different things to know on the school choice front when you use that term. Yeah. Or or maybe it's actually two, but just, so charter schools are public schools operating in the public school system, Um, but they have no, typically they have no no zoning, no no catchment area. You know, it doesn't, with most traditional public schools, you live in a neighborhood, here's the school you're zoned to, you get in. Mm -hmm. With many charter schools, um, you know, in cities like Newark, New Jersey, you know, parents get forms that list all the available schools they can go to. It's it's your traditional school that you're zoned in. It's uh, uh, a charter school that people apply to go to that mm-hmm. maybe specializes in a certain area. And in cities like Newark and Denver, you kind of rank, in New Orleans, you rank your preferences, you're matched, you can go to that. Um, it is It gets contentious sometimes because the money follows the student, you know, for a certain amount of money follows the student. Right. A certain amount of money goes to... Um, the school district um, and charters tend to operate outside the traditional district. And mm-hmm. the, the premise of it is you apply for a charter. They enable you to, 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 to exist uh, for anywhere from three to four to five years. I mean, these are state by state decisions, but then they monitor much more closely if you're hitting some of the, some of the testing goals they've set or mm-hmm. some of the student growth metrics they've set. And if you're not, then typically they revoke your charter and you're closed. Right. And, and so the premise is you're, you get to exist. You get to have some students. Um, you you get some of the funding, but then you better show results. Vouchers, uh, tip, and this has become a very contentious legal issue state by state, but allows um, students to, I mean, it really makes that money much more portable mm-hmm. for the family. 
and it may also allow you to choose uh, parochial schools or in some cases private schools um, that then that money just follows you to that school and so in the voucher case there's been some lawsuits in in Nevada and Wisconsin you know there's been lawsuits about is that the right way to use money but vouchers are very different than than public charter schools and sure. sometimes those two things get conflated and President Obama has been a very big supporter of of public charter schools and he you know hundreds of millions of dollars into the federal charter uh, fund um, and in st- cities like uh, New York City Boston um, Denver Los Angeles they've shown you know a strong ability sometimes to bring in other alternatives uh, in neighborhoods where maybe the schools have been struggling for for generations yeah yeah. Um, thank you for that. So Steve Snyder, he is the editorial director of the 74, talking to us about what is happening after the election of President-elect uh, Donald Trump, the 40, nation's 45th president, talking about uh, the schools, what's been going on with students, and and what's been happening with students after the election. I wanted to play, Steve, something uh, from September when I uh, interviewed National Education Association President Lily Eskelson Garcia. Oh, yeah. She was on the program talking about the Trump effect and talking about what was happening in our nation's schools before the election. So I wanted to kind of get to play it and get your comment on, um, you know, again, what you saw um, in the post election, especially since people were talking about this before the election. So this is Lily Eskelson Garcia. She was on the program in September talking about the Trump effect. I have a lot of respect for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Remember, these are the kids, uh, the, the kids. These are the uh, the people that um, expose discrimination and racism, everything from, you know, from the Civil Rights Act to what happens in the news today. They've done a very important survey where they've surveyed teachers who have described what is being called the Trump effect on our students and kids are listening in a very um, um, hurtful way to what Donald Trump is saying, and it's resulting in um, bullying behavior. It's resulting in kids feeling anxiety, feeling like they might, if he wins the presidency, that they might be sent away. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a sixth-grade teacher. I have taught for 20 years, and Election Day was always for me like bigger than the 4th of July. It was our huge civics lesson. This is how we would talk about representative democracy. You know, go out there, interview your parents, find out what the important issues are. Um, and, and it was an exciting time. What we're, what we're dealing with now are more and more teachers for the first time, they're afraid to encourage kids to actually pay attention to the presidential campaign because of this Trump effect. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually causing some kids to feel free to bully, feel encouraged to bully other kids, and it's making some kids listen to the words of Donald Trump and say, you know, gosh, my my grandparents came from Mexico. If he's president, does that mean I have to move? Does that, I wear a headscarf? Does that mean I'm not welcome in in my country anymore? Right. It's very very frightening. And, and so when she talked about that um, a couple of months ago, one of the things that I I wanted to take from what she said was that before the election, 
uh, Donald Trump was inciting this type of violence, inciting this type of bullying uh, among the people that were voting for him. And that permeated through our nation's school children. Steve, talk to us about where you see the country moving if this is the type of rhetoric that Donald Trump is has regularly displayed throughout the campaign trail. Well, we want, you know, the thing I was pushing for in the essay I wrote, uh, that we needed elected officials to start speaking out against this and that if there is going to be a safe place in society, it should be school. Um, you know, we're going to need more explicit attention paid to just what's allowed, what's not. Yeah. You know, it comes really down to normalizing and uh, stigmatizing. And, you know, you saw a first faint glimpse of that, um, you know, in the 60 Minutes interview where he looked into the camera and, and said people should stop this kind of harassment. You know, but it's one thing to have a, a, a seven-second aside in a TV interview, and it's a much different thing to to use the the bully pulpit. You know, everyone's hanging on his every word. I was going to say, is and, that enough, though? You know, I mean, it, I, I, you know, I get it. I mean, that that was that was great as as a as a an aside to say to people stop it but is that enough well i certainly don't think so as of yet i mean at all and in fact i mean there there is a looming crisis on the horizon and i guess i should just alert your your listeners to this where you know a congresswoman today came out for the first time to demand that president obama find a way to either protect or or I'm I'm not entirely sure if she said perhaps destroy or was implying perhaps destroy, you know, information behind the um, this federal program called the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Right. Yeah. Is it DACA? Right. DACA. Yeah. And and if you were an incoming President Trump and you you meant every word of deporting millions of Americans, one of the first places where there would be a list of undocumented Americans would be these DACA lists. Right which are high school students, college students. We have spoken off the record to a number of school chains now considering should they stop recommending kids to get into this program. We've heard that there's been some lawyers giving advice to to perhaps stop mentioning these things yeah. or even what should they do with their existing documents. Um, so I think in terms of impact on students, like this is going to get very real very quick yeah. For, yeah. For, for millions of of undocumented students, and if I think you're going to start seeing rising anxiety and hostility in Texas and at schools in Texas, Arizona, California, this is a very real issue. That's that if we go another month here, um, there are people who who signed up under good faith, yeah, uh, under an executive order, and President Trump will will change everything about their world. Yeah, yeah. Steve Snyder, thank you so much. He serves as the he serves as the editorial director of the seventy four news website that it looks at the seventy four million kids in the U.S. There are seventy four millions, they say, to talk about education. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today on Enlighten Me. Thank you again for making the time on this. You are listening to Enlighten Me. I'm your host, Andrea Cambron, on WERALP 96.7 FM in Arlington. I hope that the show was educational for you. It always is for me. Um, and I hope that, uh, you know, you learned something. Talk to you guys next week, every Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time on WERA. <laughs>
Funding for WERA 96.7 FM is brought to you by the 28th Annual Rosalind Jazz Festival, featuring two-time Grammy Award winner Corey Henry and the Funk Apostles. From Cuba, Daptone recording artist Orquesta Akakan, Seattle's True Loves, and DC's own Aztec Sun. Presented by the Rosalind Business Improvement District in partnership with Arlington Arts, the Rosalind Jazz Festival takes place at Gateway Park at 1300 Lee Highway, two blocks from Arlington's Rosalind Metro. For more information, visit arlingtonarts.org.